Amen. Praise the Lord. So I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Students of the Word. Students of the Word. How many of you would consider yourself this morning to be a student of the Word? One more time? Amen. Okay. Now, I don't expect you to say amen if you don't feel like that's you, but I do think that it's important that if it is, that we uh, continue on. So I think it's super important that we be students of the Word. If you don't know what I mean by Word, I mean the Bible. I mean the Scriptures that we have here. This we consider to be the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. That means that God Himself, and you'll have some people that will say, say, I'm not sure if I believe that the Bible is what God's Word, because men wrote it. We believe every word is inspired by God, and the reason why is that because God was the one who put it in those men to write those very words. And so uh, if he didn't do that, then we would not consider it to be an inspired book. Not only that, but we wouldn't call it God's book, and we wouldn't compare it to anything more than any other book that we have in the library. And it wouldn't be a life changer, and it wouldn't be God's direct message to us. So, but I think it's important when we take the Bible, and, and I know sometimes, in a sense, I might be speaking to some of you feel like you're the choir, but in another, I think a lot of times we miss some of the most essential pieces to being a Christian today. So, you know, today we have so many different teachers and preachers out there, but the very focus is that everybody who's uh, a child of God, a Christian, should be able to read the Bible and understand it without the necessity of somebody else teaching you that. So I'm here to help assist in it, but I'm not here to make the difference if you're not doing it yourself. If you're not taking time to look into the Bible and glean from it the way it is. And so one of the things, the troubles we have, is how to properly interpret the Bible. I won't say I'm covering every single thing now, because there would be a lot of things that I would, but I think it's just important that we cover some of the basics. Despite the fact whether you know it or not, the big question is, are you reading it? You know, as a pastor, I think it's important that I know a little bit how many of us are reading the Bible. So how many of you today would say, by just a raise of hands, I read the Bible. I think that's phenomenal. I love the fact that I see in this place a lot of you that do. I'm hoping that by today that some of you will read it more or start reading it uh, for the first time. I don't know where we're at, but I do know there's a mixed number of people here, and this is really important. Here's the big thing. If what you believe about the Bible, this is not God's Word, that's the big thing right there. If you don't believe it's God's Word, if you haven't sealed that deal in your heart, that's going to be a big thing. Because there's so many things written here that pertain to life and have to do with what God's purpose and design is for life. And if you don't believe that's God's purpose and design for life, then that's going to make it really difficult to move forward in life other than what you deem to be true or you deem to be best. Now, here's the thing. I don't think any of us think that we have enough knowledge and power in life to be able to decide, not just for ourselves, but what I decide for me is good enough for everybody else. And that's the issue we have. Because if, if this isn't God's Word, then ultimately one thing you have to consider is what I believe, is it good, even if I think that it's good enough for me, if it's not good enough for the rest of the world, it's probably not ultimately good enough for you. But I'm saying that just as, a, just as a thought in our minds that this is the basis to which we decide things. So God says, this is right, this is wrong. 
And other people in the world who say, I don't believe that's right or wrong. We have this. This is the spoken word of God to us to help us understand that. Now, I will say this. Because of bad interpretation, a lot of people are saying God said or God put it out there and they're not understanding it. Now, here's one really, really important part of the Bible. You have to look at the Bible from the whole of the Bible. One verse is not enough to make a decision off of that this is what God wants or doesn't want. But when you look from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see uh, that the theme fits all the way from one end to the next of the Bible. But you have to know enough about the Bible to see that. So I know as I prepare a sermon and I think about what, what it is that I'm about to say and what does this, this particular scripture mean, I think of it in light of so many other scriptures that I know. I hope the rest of us do the same thing. That when you think of your Bible, that you're reading it in that way. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Now by asking you to share or raise your hands, that's not to embarrass anybody or to not bring anybody up. It's just to get an idea in the audience where we're at with this. Okay, let's read this in 2 Timothy. It says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about of words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So uh, you'll see here the next, um, the next slide there. We have the, the original words and some of the meaning behind those. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing it right, but dokimos. This is the original word in the Greek for approved. So when he says that to show yourselves approved of God, it means this. In the ancient world, there was no, so they're just giving us an idea. That there was no banking system as we know it today and no paper money. All money was made from metal, heated into liquid, poured into molds, and allowed to cool. When the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. The coins were comparatively soft, and of course, many people shaved them closely. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens to stop the practice of wetting down the coins when in circulation. But some money changers were men of integrity who would not accept an, a, any counterfeit money, and they were men of honor who put only genuine full-weight money into circulation. Such men were called dokimos, and this word is used here in the Christian as he is to be seen in the world. So approved means that basically we are not accepting a counterfeit. And everybody, you're an individual who ought to, in any of our lives, we ought to make sure we're not accepting counterfeit views of the Bible. That means you are personally responsible to study it for yourself. There may be things that I may say now or in the future that do not line up with the proper understanding of the Bible. But it doesn't matter what you feel about it. It matters whether you study. And the reason why we have these Greek words is, and in Hebrew is because those were the original languages the Bible was written in. Now, we don't speak Greek or Hebrew, so we have to go back to those languages to do the best we can to understand the meaning of those words. But what, you're under, what you have to realize is, is they, they didn't deal with paper money. So when we talk about money, it's a whole different context. 
One of the most important things we'll ever do with the Bible is read it within its context. As a matter of fact, I would say anything you do in life is really important that we do it on the basis of context. So the Bible is extremely important for that reason because of the many things that we can... Once you start taking something out of context, when somebody was meaning this and now you view it to be this way, the moment you do that, the very thing that they intend and mean is lost. And so in our culture, so much of what God wanted for us to know is being lost. And Jesus addressed that in His day because there were some of the things that were happening. And so in His culture, it would be different than ours, but still we understand the idea. And they say, you know, it said in old times, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that was written in the Old Testament back in Exodus. But Jesus is bringing it up in their day, and He's not telling them that there shouldn't be justice taken care of but the problem was the culture had gotten so far out of the original intent of God that Jesus had to bring it back to its original intent. And so that knowing that Jesus had many scriptures that he had to say, this is what you're doing with it, this is what you're supposed to be doing with it. And nobody could have done it better than the Son of God himself. So also I want to look at this other word that we saw in our text here, and that is, uh, I'm not going to be able to say it, uh, that word up there. <laughs> and that is... It is, it's about dividing and a divider. So we ought to rightly divide the word of truth. So this means to cut straight. So is there any carpenters in here or once were carpenters? We got any carpenters? Yeah, we got a few of them here. You get the idea. Um, the rightly dividing or handling a right, the meaning passed from the idea of cutting or dividing to the more general sense of rightly dealing with a thing. What is intended here is not dividing Scripture from Scripture, but teaching Scripture accurately. And then the last part of this is, divide also can have another word that we use or is commonly associated, and that's called handle. And so we see here it's to cut straight, as in making roads. It is used metaphorically of handling a right and rightly dividing. The stress is on orthos. The Word of God is to be handled strictly along the lines of its teaching. If the metaphor is taken from plowing, cutting a straight furrow, the word would express a careful cultivation. The word of God viewed as ground designed to give the best results from its ministry and in the life. Now I think that last part's really, really important because it's not just what's taught, but it's what's lived. And so I don't think that generally speaking, the reason why anybody has an issue with what the Bible says is because of something they see in an error in Bible. I'd certainly be glad to talk with somebody if that were the case, but the bigger issue is what they see practice that's not in relation to the Bible. So somebody says somebody's acting as a hypocrite. What you're doing is picking out a sin in their life. And you're saying what I see in their life doesn't match what I think is the moral quality of what God would expect. So a lot of those questions, we find some very difficult questions to answer through the Bible, but if you study it from cover to cover, you will find your answers. It's in the Scripture. That being said, I think it's super important that we become students of the Word. So three distinct parts of dividing the Word. This is how... I understand it when I read this. 
That is, that there is a, there's, there's three distinct parts, and this is this. The doctrine, or the teaching of God's Word. The motive, that's kind of where, um, I'm sorry, the application, and then the motive. So what I do with it, and what is my heart or my motive behind the Bible. So motive in doctrine, it, we're dealing with a context, so this is really important. So when you read the Bible, you're not reading a book that was written in our day. It, they didn't have cars back then. So their tr means of transportation was very much different than ours. They didn't have cell phones in their day. I don't think they even had Facebook. What do you guys think? Did they have Facebook back in that day? They didn't have Facebook. They had faces. They, we, we go by that. They didn't have YouTube or any of those. I don't even think they had computers back then. Oh, man, what would we do? Televisions. So there, it's a whole different context of life the way the people in the culture were. So it's really important when we look in the Bible and we read it, that we, we remember that that's aspects behind it and we have to take it for what was within the culture. I would say, number one, make sure that you're focusing on the context. Because even if you don't know the culture, when you read something long enough, you have a pretty good idea of what the main focus or the main idea is behind. I was blessed, uh, it was a few weeks ago, um, one of the scriptures, Jesus saying, turn the other cheek, and I asked my, my kids, I said, what do you guys feel about that? And uh, my oldest son, Isaac, he said to me, he said, Dad, I need to read that. I need to get the context behind it. Now, we get a pretty good idea. Turn the other cheek is, is that when somebody does something to you that's hurtful or harmful, you don't necessarily react back. And that is in more or less what Jesus was saying. But then sometimes we bring something else in our life into that context. So should I always have to let somebody else do me harm and not do anything back? Should I never have any place in the political or justice system because of something that somebody else has done? Should I never take anything to court? And all of those are specific questions dealing with specific areas of life. But before we get to your specific area, let's just look at the context that Jesus was speaking in. He wasn't talking about a court case. He wasn't talking about a lot of those other things. So that being said, a lot of our own context doesn't fit that. And if we're not careful, we will make it fit that. So we have these three distinct parts, and the reason I say this is because we're not only trying to learn what it says, but we want to apply what it, what it says, and we also want our hearts to line up with what it says. I think when we put all three of those together, we're talking about what rightly dividing the word of truth really means. So in this we have the doctrine that stress addresses belief. We have application, and that is doing what is right in respect with what is taught. So I actually had, when I was doing um, sprinkler systems and, and landscaping, one of the guys that I was talking to, he says, I don't believe in religion. But he said he did believe in this. He said, I believe in moral code. And I said, well, here's the thing is, is I believe in moral code too. But I believe God is the very center of moral code. So anything that you believe is right, I don't think God is on the other side of that. And when I said that, I think it got him to think a little bit more of, that's probably true. He didn't say any more to me, but I remember there was just a little something settled between the two of us. I wasn't trying to preach religion at him. All I was trying to do is say, I don't understand how people believe in moral code divorced from the God who created us, who gave us very life and breath. That doesn't make any sense to me, as if somebody else came up with moral code. Like, somehow you came up with it. Like, 
Oh, you know, and we know what man does with what's right and wrong. We find a way of reinterpreting that to fit my particular interest. So I think that's why God is the head of it, because you wouldn't do a good job with it. And so in, in that end, all we're trying to do is line back up with it. Oops, I messed up. I need to repent or I need to get things right. All right. So then we have application and then the motive. Motive is so important because there's so many things that somebody does outwardly that until you find out what the motive is, it really doesn't tell us of whether they're right in doing what they're doing or not. There's manipulation that's done so often through something that looks right, and the manipulation is actually the problem here. So the Bible says God looks on the heart. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Is God looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, outwardly you appear beautiful to men, but inwardly you're like ravening wolves. That's a, that's a message that so many of us could drink in today. We know people that are like that, or, or maybe we found ourselves in that place of, man, I have told people, this is the way you should live, this is what you should do, this is how you should do it, and I've been the author of hypocrisy. I need to cool down. I love what Jesus said. He said, first get the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to get the mode out of somebody else's eye. Deal with what's going on personally first, and then be faithful. And so you see, in all of Scripture, all three of these are intertangled throughout all of the Bible. So that I can't say, this is the right teaching, but I don't have to live according to what it says. And, you know, any of you that are parents, you've got any hands out there that are parents? I know there's a few of them out there, right? we got some parents out there. Come on, get your hands up there so I know where you're at. There we are. Say, we, we teach them things, but we don't expect that after we're done teaching that they're going to go do the opposite of what we just taught them. Or it's, we wouldn't even teach the thing. There's a principle behind what we're doing here. And so there's a heart behind. I want you not just to capture, go out there and take the garbage out there grunting the whole time. I want to know that you're capturing the heart behind it. There's an honor to this whole thing. There's an honor system behind the obedience to your parents. So as parents, sometimes we don't do the best job at doing that, but the reality is that's still essentially the most important thing. So the motive. You'll see it throughout all of the Bible. I'll give you a few examples here in a moment. But the true students of the world will study it with their heart. They will study it and live it from the heart. The true students of the word will study it and live it from the heart. So we have three roles that I, I think there's three roles that we see here. The role of apprehension, um, understanding it, the discovery of the instructive teaching of Christ and his disciples, the role of expression, generally found in the commands of the Bible. So wherever you see a command, it's God calling us to a certain kind of expression. This is what you should be doing. And then you have the role of sincerity, and this is a commonly realized in the promises of God's word. The things that God has said in his word, he's promised us, us that we get to put our hearts into. We get to trust him that he's going to be faithful with those things as long as the conditions of our life are not in, in a, a destruction to it. So like, is for instance, if God's going to fill up the tank on your car, and that's not the truth, but the idea is if he's going to do it, he's not going to let you go do that and party and drive yourself off of a cliff. So he kind of knows where you're going to go with your heart. So there's things in your life you're like, I wish God would do. I don't know why it's not happening. And the motive is being addressed behind the thing that you're doing. So here we have James. In the book of James, we hear in the Bible, and he says, you have not because you ask not. You don't even pray about it. But when you ask, you ask amiss that you may consume on your own lust. And God doesn't grant those prayers. 
So, so many prayers would answer if they didn't fall into that context. The beauty of rightly dividing the word of truth. So there are times when somebody says to me, they give me a sense of, I'm angered or frustrated because when I ask God for something, he didn't give it to me. Something of that idea. And something that they're struggling with in life. And then I, what I want to do is, let's just talk a little bit more about you. Because I'll probably find, as I hear more from you, there's some an indicator there as to what's going on in the motive as to why you can't just take it off the shelf and force God into your ways. So then we have apprehension plus expression plus sincerity. Man, we got to do math these days, don't we? Not the new kind, but we got the math. And it says they're rightly dividing. I think it equals rightly dividing. You cannot rightly divide what it says in the Bible. You can't put it together and be a person of integrity with it if all three of these lives, these pieces are not coming together as you study the Bible. I need an amen. Do I got an amen out there? Amen. Hey, I like this one right here. Can I get a little bit more amen? I just want one more. So if you don't read it, you're not going to study it. And if you don't study it, God's not going to illuminate it. And if God doesn't illuminate it, then you won't understand it. And if you don't understand it, then it is impossible for you to live it. And if you're not living it, then you won't have heart for it. That's what all that means, I think. If I could put it together. Oops, put this thing back on here for a second. Okay, there we are. So I want to bring out a few parts of this because we're talking about the doctrinal part. I want you to see that it's in the Bible. So these are the very same things the disciples did. How do we know this is what the apostle was really talking about? So we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. I think it's up there. You guys got it up there on my overhead? There we go. Um, and it says this, all Scripture. So this is straight out of the Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped. So in the doctrinal heading or the teaching of the Bible, we see this example. If you'll look in Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Or you just look up there up at the top. Go ahead and change the overhead, guys. There we are. But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, <clears throat> his faith is counted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. I know that's kind of complicated in a way, but we'll get to this part. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So when you read this, the first part of that verse, all he's doing is referring back to an Old Testament scripture when David said that God uh, describes the blessedness of the man that God does not impute, um, that God imputes righteousness apart from works. So he's actually talking about that there, and then he's given the doctrinal teaching that by putting your faith in Jesus... So Jesus made a sacrifice. You're trusting that God and the sacrifice Jesus made is good enough for you. <clears throat> and you're lending yourself to him. Entrusted that 
The reason why you can believe that is because it's found back in the Psalms. It's found elsewhere in the Bible. It wasn't Paul coming up with his own ideas and then forcing it onto you. That was found in God's Word. So then we have also this other reproof or correction part, which is, addresses our behavior. And I want to look in, Psalm, in Acts chapter 4, verse 10 through 11, and also Psalms 118, verse 22, is the scripture that he's referring to. So this is the scripture he's referring to in Psalm 118, verse 22, and it is this. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, <clears throat> which has become the chief corner stone. So he's referring to Psalm 118, verse 22. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you hear whole. So what he's doing is he's reproving and correcting them because of their behavior toward Jesus. And he's using Psalm 118, verse 22, to do so. He's coming back to that so that they understand he's not doing this on his own authority. Now lastly, when we're talking about the heart. Now there's so many scriptures we could bring into, but I just want to bring in some so that you guys see it within the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33 through 37, or 34 through 37. Guys, if you'll turn to that one, you got it there, good. Uh, instruction in righteousness in the heart. So we're addressing this third piece that we've been talking about. And so I don't remember what psalm it is, but he says, For this David did not ascend, David, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies a footstool. Again, we're referring to a, a verse in the Psalms. I'm just happen to be using the Psalms. There's other ones throughout the Bible. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Notice that piece that says cut to the heart. It's dealing specifically with the heart. And so he's using the word of God in every one of these cases, either dealing with doctrine, dealing with behavior, or dealing with the heart of a person. In all of this, rightly dividing the word of truth. So why do we see? Why is this so important? It's because that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing ourselves. You know, I know something might not be right or wrong, but do I know a scripture that refers back to this is right or wrong? And we should be able to say, based on what the Bible says and what God says, this is why it's right or wrong. So here's a few things that I think are really important for us to watch out for when it comes to us. Just reading our Bible, studying our Bibles, everything that has to do with the Bible. Reading or studying the Bible without using any hermeneutical rules. You have to be careful for that. Now, hermeneutics is, a, is just a long word of basically saying, um, using context, the audience it was spoken to, basically the rules of um, interpreting the Bible. Now, I know it's written in the English language, but that doesn't mean that everything is just understood really quickly the moment we read it in our own language. We have to take time to understand its background all the pieces to it. So when people don't read by the hermeneutical rules, what happens is, is they now redefine it without its context. Now we have a whole new basis. And this is what, you know, when somebody says, I do things only based on what the Bible says. And the reality is, they're not doing what the Bible says because they're not doing it based on what the context of the Bible and what it was written. 
So if we're not careful, yeah, they, they have a scripture to go with it, but it doesn't fit the, what they're actually saying is supposed to fit. On the, so here's another one. On an average, taking very little time to read and meditate on the Bible. So think long and take a process to read through it. So, you know, my kids, we have a thing right now that we just say, okay, guys, have you read your Bible? We just kind of do a daily thing. And if they've read for 5, 10 minutes, or 30 minutes, it doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned. Because the next thing I ask is, so what did you get out of it? What did you get out of what you read? And so sometimes they're like, oh, you guys didn't get much out of it. They're like, well, that was hard to understand. Well, that's when you meditate a little bit longer. Read less, meditate more thoroughly. Think on it a little bit more until you understand or grasp the meaning of what you're reading. It'd be better for us to read less and understand more than it would be for us to read more and understand less. Another one is not using Scripture to interpret Scripture. You read a verse, look to see if there's other verses. And this is why, like, uh, when I was in high school, I read my Bible from cover to cover over and over again until the Bible got worn out. And I remember it was so worn out, the pages finally started falling from my Bible, and it was rebound, and that made it much easier for me. And then after it was rebound with thick leather that hasn't gone away, I'm still reading it again and watching pages fall out of it. Because the reality is, the more familiar you are from Genesis to Revelation, you start realizing, oh, it says this over in, in uh, one of the epistles in Romans, but I remember some other scriptures that refer back to that in Genesis. Or I remember some other part, and then you start piecing the scripture together because essentially what you're finding throughout the Bible is you're finding all the different pieces outlaid throughout the Bible that you can start seeing these pieces come together throughout all the books of the Bible. And why? Why did God do that? I don't know, but I would say there's probably one reason why. is so that you would know there's a uniform unity throughout the Bible. So whenever you read from Genesis to Revelation, you will say that there is, there's some things that I don't quite understand, but this I do understand is that it's a common theme throughout Scripture. So I could give you a few of those, but I'm not going to do it right now. I just want you to realize that that's the importance of reading it so that we can say, I know multiple scriptures that help me understand what this verse means. So that's one. Um, and then also, raising your under... So a, a fourth one here is, you have to watch out for basing your understanding of the Bible on a personal experience of life. Somebody has had a personal experience of life, and then they, t they decide this is what the Bible means based on what I experienced. Rather than, let's go look at what the Bible says and then conform my life to what the Bible says. Yielding to hardness of heart over something in your life when it has no biblical basis. So we're angry because God didn't do this, or God should have done that. And you're so angry about it, but you didn't look to see if what you're angry about had any biblical basis to begin with. And for that very reason, we get so many things that are thrown out of context. And it's interesting, when you're, you're dealing with an ministry side of things, there's a whole lot of things that I would say this. It would be simplified. It would be really simple if people would just read what the Bible says and find its context, then they wouldn't have so many troubles. That I, I actually don't have an answer for you because my answer is, if you don't follow it, what Jesus said, it's not going to work any other way. I don't have a better solution for you. Having the ability to quote the work of other Christian authors and teachers more than the Bible itself. That's my last thought here is because I think that it's important that what we recognize is this. Here's what I would say. I One of the things I notice is when people start varying, getting away from the Bible, what I happen to notice is one thing. 
They can tell me something very intricately about and very detailed about something else, someone else, but not the Bible itself. That's super important because if you're really well educated about what's going on in politics, if you're really educated on what some other minister has said, and you know all those other things, but you don't know what the Bible, you couldn't quote. There's actually a guy that they, they have him on Facebook. You know, Jesus didn't have that in his day. But this is what he does. He goes around in the store and he asks people, can, they, can you quote me one verse out of the Bible? And they say, so many of them walk away saying no. One verse from the Bible. And every now and then he captures somebody. But one of the things that catches me is how many people don't know even one verse from the Bible. Yet, a great portion of the world's prejudice is based on ignorance. And I'm going to say that one more time. The great portion of the world's prejudice against Christianity, against the Bible, is based on their own ignorance. They haven't read it. They haven't studied it for themselves. They don't know it in its context. They've decided that it's too big of a book. Yeah, it's a pretty big book. It's too big of a book to put so much time in. But I would say this. If this book is of no value, it's of no consequence. It's of no consequence. If this book, and what I believe about it, is the word, I say it's the Word of God, and it finds out to, and when I die that no such thing actually exists. There's no consequence. It hasn't hurt me. Right? But if this book is the Word of God, absolutely 100% God's Word, then it's of essential consequence. It's so essential that you could not live with it. And if that be the case, and the only reason that we're denying it is not because I've read through it and I've studied it from cover to cover and looked at it for its real value. I have chosen not to study it and base my prejudice on ignorance. I am so sorry that that be the case. And I might be ignorant because I believe it to be true when it's not, but you're far more ignorant if you don't believe it to be true when it is. And especially when it concerns God. So those things being said, all I want to do is recommend to our church, to our community and people that are around us, I want to recommend that we study this book with all of our heart. We, we get in it, we dive into it, and you keep doing it. Because what happens is, as you get later in life, you know a lot of scripture, but you forget that it still stays fresh and it has to be fresh. Let's keep reading the Word of God and studying it for what it says. You know, the big thing is, is I also want, this is what I want, I want people in my life that hold me, account, help, help, hold me accountable to what the Bible does say, what God does want for me to, to do with it. See, interpretation is huge because I can say something, but what you and how you interpret it is going to be everything to do with what happens after that, what happens with that interpretation. So I want to hear as we have a close of the service, I want to give an opportunity for two things. I want an opportunity for you to be able to come to the altar. This is just up front here and be able to unburden your heart before the Lord. So if there's anything in this audience, for those of you who have any particular area of life, you're looking back on your life, and you could say, I feel like I've neglected the Bible completely. I now understand why the will of God has not been in effect, why, why my life has gone hazard haywire because of, or whatever, and you want to spend some time before the Lord to bring that confession to Him, I want to give an opportunity for that. But aside from that, what we want to do is take communion. Now, the important part about communion is this, is that this is symbolic of the sacrifice of Jesus. So when we look at, we, we serve juice, not wine. Um, and the, the focus is this, the symbolic part of the, just this, the, 
the cup of the juice, is a symbol of Jesus' bloodshed. And we want to remember that this was what Jesus did as a sacrifice because I have sinned. I couldn't offer myself up to God in my sin. So I needed somebody else who could do that for me. So we, ought, we want to make this like the, the juice is a part of that. We do that traditionally here. For those of you who are here and I haven't had that as a part of tradition, I don't know, but I want to say this. There's a warning. And the warning is this. If you're going to eat and drink of these elements, but your heart is not right with God, you shouldn't eat and drink of them until you make your heart right with God. The simplicity is that I want to get right with God before I do that. Because the idea is, I'm taking as something that God has sacredly given to me, and I haven't even given it a place or permission in my own heart. So why would I take of it and dishonor God through doing that? So we want it. We we don't want anybody to take it when they do not sense and know that they're right with the Lord in that way. If you are, we're going to open it up. But what I generally do is this: is I open up for the communion and I let you come get it. Um, so that way, if you're not comfortable or whatever, that's fine. But I also want to. Uh, serve some of our elders in this church before um, I go any further. So when I come back down, I'll go ahead and grab these and serve our elders first, and then I'll bring them back, and then you can come as as you feel ready. The big thing is this. Don't do anything with God that you don't feel ready for. People are pushing you all the time. Just do it. Because they think if, if, if I can force you to pray or I can get you to do... Some of us have had the worst experiences through that. That's not what this is about. When you're ready, when you're ready, that's when you should be doing it. And some of us need to take a little extra time just to to let it settle in. This was what Jesus did for me. Nobody else could have done this. And the bread is his body as a sacrifice for us. So I'm going to read these scriptures. And then after I read, they're going to play one of our songs for communion. And as they're doing it, I'm going to go ahead and serve our elders, and then you guys can come as you feel that it's your time to do so.